Lean back in your chair, close your eyes, and think about what you have experienced in life, what you may have seen and done. Then think about parents, grandparents, and other family members and friends who are still here. And then add in those who are gone. What did they experience in life? Did you ever want to know? Did you ever ask? Kevin Kalaki's guest does exactly that. He asks. Michael Krent is the founder of Life Stories Alive, and he records stories we might never otherwise hear. I'm Patrice Sikora, and I'm here to listen as Kevin interviews a master of what could be the most important interview of all. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us on the podcast today, and most of all, I'd like to thank Michael O'Krent for joining me today. For those uh, who are going to get to know Mike today and who's, who don't know him so far, he is the owner of a company called Life Stories Alive, and rather than butcher what he does, I'm going to let him explain that in more depth in just a minute. He is also a TED speaker and spent the formative years of building this company by working with Steven Spielberg on the Holocaust Survivors Project. So, Mike, give me just a quick background, uh, introduce yourself, how you got started with Life Stories Alive, and what is Life Stories Alive? Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Kevin, and, and I'm honored to be on your, on your podcast. Life Stories Alive is, is something I never thought that I would be doing. I, I was born and raised in San Antonio and got a degree in business and went into our family's retail carpet business, which has nothing to do with Life Stories Alive. But after I left that industry after 25 years, a great business coach helped me connect with something that I did between 1996 and 2000. You mentioned a bit of it, but I interviewed, I was trained to by the best in the world and, and interviewed Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg's Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, which is now the USC Shoah Foundation. And in that process, realized how much I absolutely loved sitting across from somebody and being the catalyst that brought their stories out, in many cases for the first time in 50 years. And uh, this business coach said, could you make a business out of doing something like that? And that's when Life Stories Alive started. Doing that process, doing capturing the stories on video for future generations, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas. And, and I absolutely love it. That was 15 years ago. Wow. Well, I have to say, Mike, I'm actually slightly nervous today doing this interview because it's it's kind of like I'm interviewing the guru of interviewers. And uh, I know that my performance today will be graded by you. Uh, and uh, Mike and I were talking before the show, and we just realized that uh, we have known each other for about a decade now, just in and around Austin. I met Mike working in the ultra high net worth space in the family office space. In fact, he reminded me this morning, he was, was giving a talk for a nonprofit for which I volunteer to a group of area executives. And we met there and I heard about what he was doing and it was just such an amazing alignment with what I do in the family governance space with Cenas Air Capital now and what I was doing with previous firms that I just, I had to get to know Mike and, and learn about what he did. And then uh, having the experience of watching, you know, some of your final products was amazing because when you are a trained interviewer like yourself, it's not just a question, right? You're not just asking a question. You're asking for their emotions. You're asking for their history. 
you're asking for things that they might not have talked about for 50 years Mm -hmm. uh, to come up in a conversation. And there's really a a specific way that I watch you in these interviews, pull those out uh, from, from the, the people who you're interviewing. And so, you know, I, I would say having watched a lot of these myself, Mike, you know, what we'll start off with a heavy hitter here is, you know, what is the most common piece of advice that an interviewee offers during their recordings with you? The most common piece of advice that an interviewee offers. Yeah. So someone that you're interviewing, you know, they'll always offer a piece of advice for the next generation or someone will say, you know, be happy or be joyful or, you know, treat each other kind, you know, what is Uh, the most common one that you hear? It's a great question. One of the things that I don't tell the people I'm interviewing any of the questions except the very final one. And the very final question is, do you have any closing comments to leave for future generations? Because they've gone through a few hours of an interview with me. They know what it's all about. And I tell them that it's the last question because sometimes they prepare for it. And the answers over these 15 years with the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, they usually follow uh, and, and, and have commonality among five areas, family, health, spirituality, religion, whatever, very, very seldom. And there's, there's two others, but very, very seldom, if never, it's about money. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the lesson that I learn and, and the lesson that they are saying sometimes throughout their interview is if money and possessions and material things aren't the most important thing in life, why do we spend so much time worrying about it? And they, the advice that they give is don't spend so much time worrying about it. Your health is important. The love that you have for other people is important. Relationships and working through relationships are important. And uh, I'm hoping that answers your question. No, it really does. And and I think it's very common to what I hear when we're doing intergenerational counseling for families. Mm -hmm. It is, we are trying to find a way or guide a family through the process of making the money not important. So in other words, hey, we're gonna we'll handle all of this this stuff for you and we'll help you set up a intergenerational wealth transfer so that you can focus on these things that you just listed. You know, you can focus on making sure that all of your children have a good bond and that they raise their children together, or you know, making sure that everyone's aligned behind the family foundation, you know, that that we're all aligned from a, a giving standpoint, that our our capital that we, you know, have been blessed with is going to go to use beyond our family. And really when it comes down to it, the, the value that families get out of that, the coaching has, as you alluded to that, it, it's very little to do with the money. It's just, how do we make the money not an issue for everyone? And usually it's the you know, matriarch patriarch that kind of guides that process and says, okay, money's not a problem. So what are we going to do now? And that's where you see things like the development of a family mission statement, the development of a family philanthropic statement. And then that leads to you, which is how do we continue the culture of the family? How do we pass down the culture of the family? And I've seen, I've helped families write family mission statements. I have been part of evaluating charities 
for foundations uh, that would receive for 501c3s that would receive gifts from the foundation. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately at, at the end of the day, the family's trying to say, how do we make sure the culture of the family stays together long after the person who created that culture is gone? And there's no better way to do that than to be able to see their face and hear their voice. You've, you've brought to mind one of my favorite quotes, and that is from the end of a 2011 movie called Sarah's Key. It's a great book. It's really a good movie. But the last line in that movie is the following. When a story is told, it's not forgotten. It becomes something else. The memory of who we were and the hope of what we can become. So for the listeners that are listening to this podcast, for your clients, and you do this so well, Kevin, you and your team at Sincero Capital do this so well, you know that the monetary assets and the hard assets you're going to help pass down, but you start with those soft assets. So the memory of who we were and the hope of what we can become, the hope of what we can become is not uh, voiced until the story is told. And the story should be told in one form or another. And your clients will tell you their stories about their, their values and all this, but there's something special about, and the reason that I use video in my, in my business instead of just audio is because you involve more senses. Mm-hmm. Audio is a sense of hearing, but video, you can see the sense of sight and literally you can feel somebody's emotion when you're reading their body language. And for, for that, it's, that's, that's just invaluable. Yeah. I, I think I've many, many well-done documentaries and you can hear other, other people that are interviewing. And even a lot of times when I'm watching your interviews is it's hard to explain, but you can see and feel what they're going to say before they say it. Yeah. So it shows up on their face. It may well up in a tear. It may show a, you know, a lot of times you get the kind of look away, just, I'm not ready to answer that question, but I need to, you know, type of thing. So, you mm-hmm. know, that, a, you know, that a, either a painful story is coming or you see a big smile hit their face and you're like, oh, this is going to be a great story. You know, th- that type of thing. So it's, it's really neat to see. Um, I, I, I want to interject something, if I may, what you're talking about is body language. And yeah. there's a really great Ted talk out there by Evelyn Glennie. That's mm. E-V-E-L-Y-N and G-L-E-N-N-I-E. And it's how to listen with your whole body. I oh, teach yeah. a workshop on listening skills and I always include this Ted talk because it's, 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 it's awesome. Evelyn Glennie was the lead percussionist and I believe the London symphony. Oh, wow. And she goes on stage and there's musical instruments out there and she starts talking about um, how she was trained and she can't hear she's deaf. How can you be a percussionist if, if you're deaf? Well, she has some hearing, but legally she's deaf, right? So she goes to that story. It's an amazing TED talk. But for your listeners, uh, yeah, if you watch somebody with, if you listen with your whole body instead of just your ears, it's, it's a whole new experience. For sure. Well, while we're on the topic of TED talks, you mm-hmm. yourself have been a guest on the TED stage. Tell us yes. a little bit about that. And I'm going to go ahead and maybe hop in a- a- ahead and-, and allude to something before, but you also wrote a piece called being humble is nothing to brag about. And I think the talk and that piece are, are tied to each other in some way, shape or form. So tell us about your Ted talk. What, what was a, how did you get invited to that process? And then what did you bring to the stage? 
Well, thank you, Kevin. It's, it's a TEDx talk that I gave gotcha. in Wilmington in 2018. And the title of the talk is How Conversations with Loved Ones Can Alter the Course of Our Future. And uh, how did that come about? I, I knew that the message that I had and the idea that's worth spreading, it's, it's a frustration for me in that I know the value of someone's story when it's recorded, but most people don't know the, st- the value of their story. And they don't even think about recording it until it's too late. I've heard over and over again at a funeral, I wished I would have had you do your work. I wished I would have had this done. And I think one of the reasons why people don't do it is because our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation, like Tom Brokaw wrote about the greatest generation of the World War II generation, they're humble. Because society teaches us, especially the American society teaches us, that if we talk about ourselves, we're bragging. And bragging is a sin, right? But the alternative is if you don't not talk about yourself, and it's certainly not bragging, but if you don't share your story, there's one thing that you can be guaranteed and that'll be buried with you. Yeah. And along those lines, uh, maybe this is a bit of a personal question. You and I have had this conversation for years now, and, and I'm still trying to get him over the hump, but my wife's grandfather is a World War II veteran. Mm. And some of the things that he writes uh, to the family and some of the talks that we have at holidays are just almost beyond believable in, in the sense that they occurred. And, you know, just getting, you know, him and the rest of the family, how do we get them over the hump? How do you, in, you know, help a family or one of those people who don't believe their stories are worth sharing? How do you convince them they are? We're sharing. Uh, the bad news is sometimes you can't, but there are things that you can try to do to convince them. Now, one thing is, and I, I mentioned this in my in my TED talk, that we all have a smartphone with us, and most every smartphone that I've ever seen has a voice memos function. So when you're at that table with your wife's grandfather, and he starts to tell a story, or even before he starts to tell a story, set the phone down, push the voice memos function, and then forget about it. And you'll have it on audio. You'll have those stories on audio. But why people don't do this and how to convince them? One of the things that I've used, and, and sometimes it works, and it makes people think. You want people to think. Ask that grandfather if he knew any of his grandparents. And most of us knew at least one of our grandparents, right? And then say, uh, what, what does your wife call him? What, what name? Well, so our, our kids call him Super Granddad. Okay. So you look at him and you say, look, Super Granddad, if you knew one of your grandparents imagined this, that you can go to that TV screen over there or that computer, and with a push of a button, you can not only hear them, but watch them tell their story. Talk about what, how they met and how they fell in love and, and what they, they liked most about growing up and, and the lessons learned and the mistakes they made. Because one of the things that I think that every parent wants is they want their kids not to make the same mistakes that they made. And the best way to do that is to tell their story, record their story and, and tell them, not just verbally, because people forget, record it. Yeah. 
that's that's one way to have them imagine one of their favorite grandparents or one of their favorite relatives doing that. And then the follow-up question to that, if you feel so bold to ask this question, is why would you not want your grandchildren to appreciate that feeling that you miss because they're not recorded? Yeah, that's, that's a, a guilt great, trip. It's a guilt trip. <laughs> But with that said, though, I would go to venture that the majority of the people who actually approach you are the younger generations and someone who actually recognizes this fact and says, you know what, if, if we don't get super granddaddy, he turns 94 this year, or I guess early next year, if we don't get him on camera soon, we, we might not be able to get him on camera or audio at all. And so that's, right. that's where the phone calls. So, you know, am I correct in that assumption? Is there, where do the majority of your requests come from. <laughs> you are correct. Most of my clients who hire me to do this are either the children or the grandchildren. <laughs> In some cases, though, the, the interviewee will know that they don't want their story to be forgotten and they'll, they'll hire me as well. But most of them are the kids. And for good reason, especially grandchildren, like your wife, when she sits around the table and you as the in-law sits around the table and listen to this story, thinking, oh my God, these stories are great. He will tell you, Super grandpa will tell you, eh, it was just my story. I'm nothing special. Yeah. My goodness. World War II vet. And the stories that he tells about World War II, we, you and I have to realize that he was a kid when he went through that. Yeah. Was he 19, 20? Well, he was, he was 16 or 17 and tried to enroll and they caught him and sent him back. And then the day he turned 18, he went back and... And, right. and went on. So, wow. Yeah. So, can you imagine going through what he went through at 18 years old? No, not at all. Uh, in fact, I just, I watched um, the Pacific. So, speaking mm -hmm. of, of Spielberg, um, I watched this the Pacific recently, and there, just the visual aspect of, of what, you know, the, those kids. And then there was, there was a young kid who had a heart problem that was trying to get over there and eventually did get over there and, and made it back in that story. And so they have all their true stories as well. So, and, and this is one reason, Kevin, why Spielberg and his genius, when he formed the Shoah Foundation, they dictated to us and, and wisely so that 20% of that interview had to be before the war. Mm -hmm. And 20% of that interview had to be after the war. Because the Holocaust story and the lessons learned from anybody's life, but especially Holocaust survivors, it's not just about that particular event and that particular trauma. You want to know what happened before and what a quote-unquote normal life they had before. And how do you survive something like that? What does survival look like? And everybody has stuff that they go through in their lives, challenges and things like that. So it's not just talking about the challenge. What brought on the challenge? What lessons did you learn? And how could you, what advice would you give to, so somebody won't go, so your kids or grandkids won't go through such a challenge anyway? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think about my own grandfather, my, my father's dad, and, you know, he served in World War II. And when he came back, you know, he literally built his own house, like literally himself and two friends, a, an actual German man, and wow. then a large black man. You can imagine this in the 50s. You know, mm -hmm. someone driving by this lot in, you know, Atlantic City and seeing a large black man and a German man and, a, you know, a very short and stocky and strong white man building a house together probably just didn't fit. And so I would always, I always wanted to learn more about those friendships. Um, the one thing my father did tell me was, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the, the German man's name, 
But for many, many years after the war, he would disappear for a month or two and he would come back with refugees, getting him out of uh, mm. East Germany. So it was he, he spent a lot of time going back and forth and getting people out from under you know, what was left after uh, you know, everything. So I- I'm going to violate a rule of an interviewee, but what one question, Kevin, would you have asked? Would you ask your grandfather if he was still alive? Oh, man. I think the question that I would have asked him was knowing what you went through in your early part of your life, you know, did you ever think that your life would turn out the way it has? Wow. So it's a great. That's a great question. And the reason I asked that is that now, this is recorded. So you're going to have this down, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the same question you should ask super grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. So I remember asking my father that question one time and wow. we were driving up to their house and, you know, he was, you know, they were still pretty, pretty poor when he grew up and, and he sold his artwork on the boardwalk in Lake City to pay for his own education, went into the air force to pay for his, his dental school. And, and I said, you know, growing up on the island as a poor kid, you know, in Atlantic City, did you ever imagine you, you have a house on two acres and close to, you know, the center of Austin? And he's like, not in my wildest dreams. So uh, not in his wildest dreams. So, well, now that we're onto the, the topic of questions, uh, what is the biggest regret that a lot of the people whom you're interviewing express when they are being interviewed? Good question. I think the biggest regrets that I hear over and over again are not telling somebody something, and that something is usually, I love you. Stereotypically, especially males of that generation, they don't want to cry. They were told, you know, you shouldn't cry, you shouldn't show, but that translates, unfortunately, into something of not showing your feelings and your love of somebody. That's the most common regret. Another common regret, and I'll never forget this interview. I interviewed a very successful trial attorney in Houston. His son here in Austin hired me to interview him. And he says, when I asked him that question, because that's one of the questions I ask at the end of my interviews, do you have, looking back on your life that you've led, do you have any regrets? And this man thought, and he said, you know, I remember morning after morning, kissing my kids, three kids, kissing my kids goodbye before I went to the office. And night after night of those same days, coming back and kissing them goodnight after they were already asleep because I spent so much time at the office. My regret is that I missed their childhood. Whoa. That's, yeah. that's heavy. Heavy. And so my follow-up question, of course, is so what advice would you give your children or anyone on how to raise kids for a busy trial attorney? And he gave his answer. Wow. Well, if you want to know the answer, maybe we'll have to uh, save that for a, another podcast when you come back and, and talk to <laughs> us again. But, um, you know, I, I really have uh, one. Let, let's do this while we're in the, the context of storytelling for today. Mm-hmm. The stories that you have heard over your career have to be almost unimaginable in, in terms of not whether it's you know some grand story of I was on Iwo Jima or I was Captain Sully who landed the plane in the river, you know, yeah, that type of stuff, but more so, what was the most inspiring story that you've ever recorded? 
Mm. Now, only having watched a sample of yours, mine would go to a particular World War II vet who got shot down in Belgium and got hit in the haystack and so on and so forth that you found. Right. Um, and I think my father actually knew him. So, uh, really? but yeah. <laughs> and, but as far as you go, it could be even a small inspiring story that just was inspiring within a family. It doesn't have to be a big world type story, but what is the most inspiring story? Um, you know, the one that you re- re- alluded to, and, and I don't share the names of my clients without their permission, and this person gave me permission years ago, the daughter of Roger Berkman. If, <laughs> if you know Myers-Briggs and the Berkman method, is the um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, what they call a personality profile, but it's much more than that. Roger's story was inspiring. And what you might find it weird is his inspiring, he was a B-17 pilot his 19th mission over Germany, they were shot down. He was the pilot, so he was last to leave the aircraft, landed in a cornfield in um, a potato field in um, Belgium. Anyway, obviously survived that. But the most inspiring story that he told was his business story. And he got his undergraduate degree at the University of Houston, got his graduate degree at the University of Texas at Austin. And when he was studying his PhD, he had an idea that you could put colors and numbers to people's personalities so you could uh, assess them. And the entire psychological community said, you can't do that. Said, you are nuts. It just cannot be done, should not be done. And he did it anyway. And it changed the world of psychological profiles. And it changed the world of assessments, I should say, of, of how we interact with one another. And that inspired me, especially this was at a time when I interviewed Roger when, and he has since passed away, I interviewed him toward the beginning of my Life Stories Alive career. And it inspired me to keep going with what I was doing. Because as we've talked about, my challenge isn't, there's, this isn't something that people think about and they're doing all the time. Uh, like your, your super granddad, people have to be told that, you know, you really should do this. And so it gives me inspiration to keep going because I know the message is, is important enough. Yeah. Well, I think too, the, we talked about this earlier in the podcast, we talked about culture, the culture of the family. I think what most people don't realize is that life stories alive isn't limited to a family. It also is something that you do for family Mm -hmm. businesses and nonprofits because a business owner myself you know, the, the culture that you create in a company and hopefully my company will be around for a very long time. And at some point in time, I'll have a video that, you know, and now Mm -hmm. we'll have all, at least all these podcasts, you know, Patrice and I recorded the first episode where I talked about why I started Zenos here at Capital. At least now I know that that culture of that fiduciary culture is going to be kept because we have that recorded but also with businesses, you know, having the family founder or the founder mm-hmm. of the business, the first CEO or the, you know, telling the stories of, you know, what happened during, you know, the industrial era as this business was coming up, you know, and, and imagine if you could have the stories of like the robber barons on video, you know, mm-hmm. it would be amazing to hear what, what they had to say, even if the culture wasn't the right culture, but, you know, 
um, you know, assume that was all there, but, and then also nonprofits. And a funny story is um, I remember a time when you called me, Mike, and you said, Hey, I've got a table at the Catholic charities lunch, and I would like you to join me. And if someone might be wondering why I'm suffering a little bit of cognitive dissonance there is that Mike's Jewish <laughs> and I'm, I'm Catholic. And I'm like, why, why did my Jewish friend invite me to a Catholic lunch? It was, it was a bit strange, but it was wonderful because I actually got to sit with you while you watched your work of documenting the Catholic charities of central Texas be shown to a room of 700 people. And, and to me, that was really neat just to see all of that and see the people come up to you afterwards. Thank you so much for capturing that and seeing, you know, the, the CEO of the, the Catholic charities come up and Sarah just emoting about, wow, I, the response we have over this stuff's amazing. We've never had any work like this done before. Cause you know, usually someone would come in and it'd be like a slideshow, like a picture of some people at work in a slideshow, but instead you actually spoke to all of those individual charities that were underneath the umbrella and got all of their stories. And you and I have talked about this as a nonprofit. Imagine capturing the people who founded it in mm-hmm. the story that led them, you know, to create the nonprofit. In fact, I was listening to a, a podcast recently and there was he's a young, young guy, relatively young. Uh, and it's called, oh, I'm going to blank on the name, Operation Underground Railroad. I think his name is Holland. It was his last name. And he was telling the story is basically re- rescuing children from sex traffickers, human traffickers. And the story of how he came across this was, was absolutely unbelievable. And mm-hmm. so I think about all of the nonprofits because, you know, most nonprofits don't spring up because someone's like, you know, I want to give some money to, uh, you know, uh, helping kids. You know, there's usually a story. And there's there's a always reason, a story. Always a story. Why, and it's usually, if not always, tied to them personally. And, to and hear that, I think this... I think the secret, and I'm interrupting you, I'm sorry. I think this, the secret to why that's so important is there's a story behind the story. Mm-hmm. And as someone who was trained to do so, you ask the question after the question. You know, you ask a question, they answer it. Then you ask the clarifying question, or the question after the question. That really brings a story out. Catholic charities throughout the United States, but especially the one in Central Texas, they do such great work. And there's different parts of that. Uh, organization. But another organization that I've done some work for is the Sunshine Kids Foundation. And they were this, they had the sweet spot. So a sweet spot for me is an organization that's been around for uh, two or three decades where the founder is getting up there in age. And if the founder dies without their story being told, meaning the story of the inside story of how they started this and what the struggles they went through and I did that for the Sunshine Kids Foundation, and even board members that have been on the board for many, many years said, oh, my God, I never, I never heard that story before. I never realized that. And that's just because somebody took the time to sit down and ask. But those stories will now be captured forever. The same thing happened when I did the history of Special Olympics Texas, mm-hmm. bringing all these stories together. And it's, all these organizations have incredible stories. But if I may, you mentioned family businesses. And I've been fortunate enough to speak four times, five times, actually, at uh, Baylor University has a wonderful Institute for Family yes. Business as part of their business school. Yeah, I'm aware of it. And a family business is such a unique animal in that 
you not only have in you, in most cases success because it's family, but the challenge of passing down to future generations. Now I grew up in a family business and that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about helping family businesses tell their story. Um, my son, thank God, my brother runs the family business now and my son's the fifth generation in the business. Wow. Which is unheard of. Yeah. But anyway, I, 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 I enjoy doing that. And that's why uh, one of the things that I do, I insist on doing is lots of pre-interview work before I ever show up with a camera. And the pre-interview work gets the facts of the story and gets the inside stories and the who else is involved that needs to be interviewed for this story to tie everything together. Anyway. That's, that's a wonderful institute uh, up at Baylor. And I know, um, yeah. you know, Northwestern also has a, a wonderful mm-hmm family business program, a friend of mine here in, in Texas, who's part of a very big, well-known Texas family has been through that. And he, he just speaks so highly of it. And, and really it's not, you know, it's again, it's not about the money when you go there, it's about the right. family dynamics. It's about the story. It's about the culture. It's about mm-hmm. how do we resolve conflict with family members and, um, and, and all of that. And so, you know, before we, before I ask you a final, I have one final question today for you, Mike, that I did not prepare for you ahead of time, but, but I will, let you, it won't be too difficult for you, but you know, if someone wanted to get a hold of you um, to talk about doing a, a life story for their family, how would they do that? They can go to my website and there's a contact tab on my website and the website is lifestoriesalive.com or they please email me at uh, M-O-Krent, M-O-K-R-E-N-T at lifestoriesalive.com. And, and you- I can you can always reach out to us as well at Zenith Era Capital. We'll, we have Mike's contact information. I'm happy to pass that along too. So final question, Mike, are you ready? I think, I, I don't know. I'm, you're scaring me. So you have, you have some grandchildren yourself now, correct? Yes, I do. All right. So if the camera was here and I was recording you, what advice would you give to your grandchildren knowing oh, everything God. you've collected in your interviews over the years? It's a great question. And I heard it in a speech once, and I think it's some of the best advice. And here's the context of the advice. A retiring journalist, a very successful journalist in New York City was retiring and gave a speech. And he said the following, when it's all said and done, what matters most is who you love and who loves you. The rest is inconsequential. So I would give my grandkids the advice, love the people around you, care about the people around you, and show it. Say it, prove it, and show it. And even when things get tough, and things will get tough in relationships, that's what relationships are all about, realize that that is the foundation. Love is the foundation. And if everybody in the world did that, we wouldn't have, I don't think we would have so many problems. Great. Mike, thank you so much for coming on today and taking time out of your day to to come here and join me at the office and, and record the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Mike and Kevin, you didn't tell me I was going to need tissues for this one, Kevin. All right. I'll tell you right, right now. But what a wonderful, inspirational conversation about the power of story, not just family stories, but business stories and all people's stories. That's what it comes right down to. Thank you so much. To enjoy the latest Uncorrelated Minds podcast, subscribe, follow, and of course, share. And 
I'm waiting for the comments on this one. Thank you for listening to the Uncorrelated Minds podcast. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, please visit the show notes page for links to further information at www.cenaceracapital.com. Cenacera Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Cenacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor.